Hi everyone. This is the Equestrian Connection from WeHorse.com, the online riding academy. My name is Christian Grober and welcome to the show. In this episode, I am interviewing Andrew Wells. He is an international show jumping rider and started very early on to pursue his career and represented the United States already several times in Nation Cups. How he got where he is right now and what he learned from the best riders in the world, this is what we're going to talk about now. So let's go. Welcome to the show, Andrew Wells. Thanks for having me on. Andrew, you are a show jumper. You represented the United States, I think, in 2009 for the very first time in a Nations Cup. What mm -hmm. is for you the beauty of the sport? Why do you love show jumping? There's a lot of aspects, but I, 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 I say sometimes to when I talk with people, I said, it sounds a little bit corny, but it's the, it's the beauty, it's the beauty of the harmony you're trying to create with an animal and you're trying to accomplish, you know, sometimes a difficult task or, you know, work, you know, you're tackling a, a difficult course there and you're doing it in partnership with an animal and you can't, you can't speak to the animal with your words, but you can do it in so many other ways. And, you know, for me, I think you look at some of the best riders uh, in the history of our sport. You look at Ian Miller, you look at Nick Skelton, you look at uh, Ludger Beerbaum and how successful they've been late in their career. And I think the one thing I truly believe is that every time you get on a horse, you learn something new. It could be the smallest little feeling. It could be a new approach there. And so every day, you know, aside from just the sport, you're working with an animal and you're, you're looking, you're, you're learning new ways of how you can communicate better and then put that, uh, put that to use in your craft and your sport and what you're doing in the arena. So having this connection doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's only in a course or at a show. It is also those small things in the daily routine? Oh, it's everything. I mean, I, I, I say, you know, it's, it, and it's not just the trot or the canter, you know, everything that we're doing is trying to create, you know, I'd say that it, everything that we're doing is trying to create the best canter possible because at the end of the day, you know, that that's your platform for a great, that's your platform for jumping a course successfully. And, you know, the jumps are really just, their their place on a, a their place on a pattern uh that you're cantering around the ring on but that starts you know having a good canter starts at the trot starts at the walk starts in your groundwork starts in uh you know even before that when you, you know your your training program how you plan for the fitness the soundness of the horse there's so many there's so many details that get you from point a to point b and that's where you know that for me that's the kind of work that uh, I love doing you you're and you develop a bond with the horse they're understanding what they need and how you can help them so that they can help you the best way possible so eventually having a sound plan for everything from yeah. the warm-up um, trot um, until eventually also make and jump so it's it's the, this entire scope of things yes <laughs> Exactly. It's, uh, you know, I, I say it's, you know, you're, 
you know, you're not looking at just the plan of what you're going to do that day or that week. You're looking at a year plan, a, you know, a two-year plan, how you're developing young horses, you're bringing them up. I think that you see some of the, you know, most of the best riders they've had horses since they were young uh, and they've, they've, molded, they've molded them into their program, their way of riding. Um, you know, I think you look at, you look at McLean Ward to Ludger to Nick Skelton to, I mean, so many great riders. They all have different programs. They have different styles there. Um, and for me, there's, there's uh, a, so many different ways to ride and train horses actually. Uh, and there's a lot of ways to do them well, but you have to pick your, you have to pick your, um, your program, your, your style. Your own style eventually. Yeah. And you know, mold and, and develop the horses to mold to that there. So you're looking at a, you're looking at a plan that, that spans, you know, years of development there. And, uh, then you're, you're taking the, you're breaking that down to the small steps of you're building their fitness up. You're, uh, towards a certain goal, you're maintaining it there. You know, it's even, you know, how, what surface are you going to work the horse on that day? Are you, how are you going to change it up so that they, they get exposure to, you know, grass, to sand that it's, you know, that you're preparing them to handle the rigors of what we're going to ask of them, because as beautiful as our sport is, I would say it's, it's a little bit unnatural. You know, it's the, the horses love what they do. They're incredible athletes there, but you know, at the end of the day, the, I, we're asking them to jump these massive horses there that uh, not getting too into, I guess, the intelligent design. But I, I don't think that they, that horses were originally, that the idea was made that they would become show jumpers there. They're incredible at it, but we need to also be conscious of the fact that we need to look after them, make sure that they have good balance in their life so that they stay um, healthy, sound, and their bodies are prepared for what we're going to ask of them in the sport there. And so I think that trying to be conscious of that, uh, in your daily routines and your planning, that is something that's very important to the end goal, which is, uh, a high quality performance in the competition arena. How, how do you manage that? I, I think what you said is completely right. That, that horses historically aren't not necessarily um, for show jumping, we have a breeding history of over 500 years or even longer, um, starting in Germany and in Europe and at the royal houses and all those things. And now we are in the year 2021, 22, um, and and we have these high high athlete horses. How do you manage them uh, on a daily basis that they don't get bored, that they are willing to? To, to jump fences, jump courses in a positive manner and positive posture. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it comes to I, every horse is a little bit different what they need. Um, you know, I try to I, I, I was actually just explaining this to somebody uh, yesterday, somebody and we did it. I, English is not his first language. And so I was trying to connect the dots of how to explain this there. But I said, you know, the, there's a term that we have Paul, that's a, or the, the saying that is um, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, you know, it's like for these horses there, you can't, uh, you can't just expect them to go around the same arena day in and day out and expect to, uh, you know, keep a, you know, a 
not necessarily a positive outlook, but to not become bored. You want to keep them. It's the fine line between overstimulating, but also keeping them mentally fresh, whether it's, you know, I think it's good to work in the arena. It's good to work them out on the trails, you know, change the places up that you're riding them there. Um, you know, we need to be, I think it's important that you always are trying to put the horses on surfaces that are going to promote um, health and soundness, but they also need to work on different surfaces because if they only work in one type of sand arena and then you go and ask them to go on a grass field or even a sand arena that's a different material and do something that uh, and that's going to be the most the physically exerting task that they're going to do, which is jump a, a, a big bomb free. But that's a time that you're asking for an injury to occur. So I think it's important that you ride the, you know, you ride the horses on different surfaces. You're cognizant of, you know, it's still being a good surface for them to work on, but it's also, it's good for their mind. They go and work in different places and uh, work in different ways as well. You're not just on the horses every day grinding on them. You know, you maybe pick one or two days a week. You work on more of the dressage details. You pick one or two days that you're working you know, more forward, simple work on the trails so that they, that the days that you have to really, that you, not, not that you have to, the days that you want to put more work into the communication there and the dressage basics, the horses aren't sour to them. So I think that's always a fine balance that you're looking for there. Early, earlier, you mentioned a couple of legends of the sport, Ian Miller, McLean Ward, Ludka Baerbaum, um, and some others. How important is it for you to basically create your own blend to create your own style do, do you even do that or is it just naturally created um, when you develop horses i i think it's important there i think that there is a you know there's the there's two there's maybe two types of uh of a person and you want to find yourself somewhere in the middle you have the bullheaded person that doesn't want to, that only believes in their way. And uh, they're not going to take any advice. They're not going to think with an open mind or learn there. Uh, and they can, you know, they might be successful to some extent there, but they could be a lot more successful if they, you know, if they took some advice or they, they watched and learned how to do things better. Then you have your other type of person, which is, you know, a sponge and they they're they they bounce too much in every direction because they're just trying to take every bit of information that they can and they almost get they confuse themselves along the way there so i think it's kind of it's finding it's it's finding the middle ground there that you you try to keep learning keep developing keep progressing there but at the same time um you have to believe in yourself and you have to figure out what works for you and you know i i say that when we have you know for our team our staff the anyway you know this is not just from the rider i mean there's such a there's a massive support system that uh really you know they're they're the bird's nest that hold us up there and but i i say to them when we hire them when they, or when we sit down everything so there's, there's a lot of different ways to do horses and there's a lot of ways to do them well but at the end of the day we have to pick one direction and we have to follow that there that might you know that does mean it doesn't mean that we never can change that like i love to hire people that have different backgrounds different experiences and you know to be able to listen to them there but it's a little bit like you're a president or a ceo you you gather everybody around and you you 
listen to ideas or thoughts on how we can do things. But at the end of the day, then your job is the It's you making the decision, huh? Yeah. You have to pick it and you're going to learn, you know, sometimes you're going to make the wrong one and you're going to learn from that there. And then um, you'll be, you know, hopefully um, even if you make the wrong decision, you're going to learn from it down the road and how you can correct that on in a future situation. You're over 10 years already in the international show jumping scene. Um, how, how did you get into the sport? How, what, what paved your way into the international sport? Well, going back to when I was younger, um, so I'm from a, a city called Minneapolis, um, which is up in the, it's close to the Canadian border in, in Minnesota uh, for, I guess, people outside the States um, listening to the podcast here. And in uh, the region there, there's hardly any, um, we call it hunter jumper over here, but yeah. there's not much sport and uh you know when i I'm, i'm not that old i'm 34 now but uh, you know when i was younger we didn't have access to social media you would get your magazines in the mail you know once a week or the pre-iphone era yeah exactly so you know i didn't i didn't know a lot about it um and uh so it took me a little bit longer to kind of really get going it was more until i was like 16 or so then i did a clinic with somebody um uh, a top trainer and they said you know i think you actually have some talent at this you know it'd be great for you to come down to wellington and see what this is all about and so i made that move and kind of it's been you know i was all in from that point on um but ironically that way i started was my parents both rode growing up and they were involved with horses but they had kind of more or less stopped and uh you know raised the family but when i was uh seven or seven or eight my uh a friend of mine on a soccer team was taking riding lessons and it was the uh, you know family friend as well so we would oftentimes get rides to and from soccer but i had to wait out um for his riding lessons to uh finish on the way home we go to soccer and then he would go for a riding lesson and i sat there and watched a few times and finally i said okay well i might as well take the riding lesson at the same time if i'm going to be here And uh, he stopped riding six months later, and I guess here I am today. Thankfully, you, you didn't pick up soccer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and you, you started your own equestrian operation when you were 23, right? Also Correct. very early. Yeah. Correct. I, um, I was very fortunate to work with uh, top trainers uh and with missy clark and then chris kapler um when i was you know from that the age of 16 to 23 there and uh progressed very quickly and i had a moment when i was 23 um my main horse at the time had had an injury and i needed to get some more horses underneath myself there and i said you know I, this is i you know, it's, it's a ambitious move to make, but I felt like for the long run, I needed to, uh, that that was going to be the best step to put more horses underneath me as a rider and start to expand the scope of what I can do. And, um, that doesn't mean I, I never get help from other people as well, but, uh, I think that you should always have, you know, you know, the best riders in the world still have somebody on the ground to help them there. But that was, uh, at the time, um, something that it 
I felt like was the next move that I needed to make in my career. And uh, the other side of it too, is that a lot of riders, they, uh, I feel like they teach so they can ride. I actually truly uh, enjoy teaching. Um, and so for me, that was tied into it as well is that it was an opportunity for me to open up a little bit more of a training aspect to our business as well. And uh, that's something that it's a piece of this that I really enjoy. What do you enjoy um, about um, training other people and, and, and getting your, your students better? Uh, I, I love to communicate, you know, I, for me, I love to communicate the, um, the, the details of the sport, watch the progression. Um, I also, I think it helps me as a rider, you know, the more I can be out there teaching, I'm reinforcing the little things that are, make a difference, uh, to me there. And, you know, if you're, you're, if you're out there and, uh, you're trying to pass a message along, teach somebody how to do things teach somebody how to do something. There's been so many times where I've said, and it kind of, it makes something click for me as a rider or something uh, for me with the horse there that, uh, you know, it, not saying that I hadn't thought of it, but something that I'd maybe gotten a little bit complacent about there. Um, so I think it's very healthy. It keeps me very sharp um, and engaged with my own riding with the students. But I, I think to see their progression to work with them and help them reach their goals. Um, it's, it's fun. And I mean, now you're already over 10 years running your own business in the equestrian world. What, what are your biggest learnings so far? I mean, 10 years is, is quite some time. What would you recommend people that are just starting the sport or starting a business? What, what are your learnings, your personal learnings so far? This is going to sound actually like a little bit out of left field, but I, I think that, uh, I think to actually it's, you, you need to be bold in a sense, but I actually think that the, this is a small thing, but I'd say it, it was what kind of helped me turn the corner is to not beat around the bush. And I, you know, I remember in the beginning, I was just a little, you know, I felt very tentative to have a strong opinion or, you know, you know, say what really needed to be done for clients, for owners, for everybody on the team there. And as I um, got further progressed into this, I, I realized that, you know, sticking to my convictions and really being honest um, about what I felt, uh, you know, when somebody would say, you know, what it's going to take to, you know, reach a goal, how can we get there is, you know, say, what you truly believe and um it's gonna you, you're gonna be working towards a an outcome that's very honest um with the you know what horses need with what students need there i felt like in the beginning i was always you know i would you know we, yeah we could do this or you know we need to you know, i was a little bit soft spoken about things there and then as i you know i said you know no this is what needs, you know, if we want to do this, this is what needs to happen. And we're going to, um, you know, take the bull by the horns and get there. Yeah. And probably this is a learning you can have in any business. Yes. <laughs> take the bull by the horns and get there is probably something you, you need in any business, regardless if you're running a barber shop on the corner or a, in an equestrian business like yours. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. No, it's, 
I found, and I found that at the end of the day, you you do a better service when for everybody around you, when you just, you know, when you can be very blunt and honest, you know, if somebody has a horse there that truly it's not the best partnership or it doesn't work. And instead of saying, Oh, well, we'll do everything we can to make this work there, you know, say, say what, you know, you're, you're not doing the best service to the client then as well, or your student, or you, you need, you need, you need to find the best situation and the, um, that you can for everybody around you. Did COVID actually affect your business or, or affect also the number of horse shows you visit due to lockdowns? Is, is that a factor for you or, or, or an aspect, or is that something that is just completely off? It's, it for sure has changed. You know, there was, we did a lot more of, uh, the Traverse city horse shows the last two years. Um, I think around the world you saw your one or two week horse shows. I mean, we had, well, we couldn't travel to Canada like we normally like to, and Europe was difficult. So we ended up staying home. Um, and we, yeah, we just finally got into Canada at the, uh, at the end of August this last year. Um, so that, you know, we ended up doing, uh, I, I would say we did the same amount of horse shows probably. Obviously there was a break of a couple months there where we didn't, but then it was just, we probably stayed in, uh, you know, we, we stayed between a smaller group of horse shows and did you know, more of those places. Cause I think you saw that the one or two week horse shows really struggled to, um, to put on the competitions because they, there's so much setup costs. There's the risk about exactly if they, if they don't get to run the spectators, but the longer series that they could spread the, the costs out over, you know, 12 weeks, they were able to put something on, um, selfishly. And this is, so the COVID has affected so many people and people I know in very negative ways, um, you know, from not just the financial standpoint, but obviously it's the health standpoint, the mentally also mental aspect of it. Um, the one positive and that I really took from it there that was actually amazing for us from it is we hit the pause button and we could just train. And for me, I love that. And I, it's, uh, it was a little bit of a lesson to try to incorporate more again, because I think it's so easy to get on a, a hamster wheel that there's another show, there's something to be doing. You have to kind of keep going there and to just be able to train at home and spend all that time to work with the horses, to work with the students and like really, uh, you know, really put our time to that aspect of it was something that uh i did not take for granted and something that i really felt like it was a, a, some a reminder for us about how important that aspect of it is cool so. andrew at the end of every podcast i have the four ultimate we horse questions okay. i hope you are ready I hope so too. <laughs> Question number one. Do you have a motto? If I do, it would probably, yeah, I guess it, it's, uh, I, I say ride to ride great, not to not make a mistake. Cool. Yeah. Ride okay. to ride great, not to make a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Not to not make a mistake. It's so easy to go. 
think about it's it's actually it's from a it's from a golfing book and i tweaked it a little bit there but it's uh it's you know instead of thinking about you know i don't want to you know i don't want to hit it in the water so i'm trying not to hit the the ball in the water you're thinking mm-hmm. about how you want to hit it straight down the middle and mm-hmm. I, the same way Roddy, it's that you're not thinking about and i don't want to knock the rail down i don't want to knock the rail down i, I, I want to jump a great jump there's a t- there's a difference in the mindset there you're, it's still the you're it's the same the same end goal but the approach to it is different there different energy yes exactly Question number two, who has been the most influential person in your equestrian life? Uh, I, you know, I've been so lucky to have been surrounded by a lot of um, really fantastic horsemen. Um, but I spend a lot of time with Chris Kapler uh, growing up and he's still a... Um, a very good friend somebody that i can go to for advice at any time with my horses my riding there um and he was you know he's been a, a big a big portion of the u.s team for so long now um so i i, I really appreciate my relationship with him and uh um i think that it's been something i've learned so much from cool yeah and chris kapler real legend of the u.s yeah. scene yeah For sure. Question number three, if you could uh, give equestrians one piece of advice, just one, what is it? Say one piece of advice. Take it in order to do your job well, take a step back and remember that we're, you know, we're trying to get, we're trying to get animals to jump over sticks. Really, is at the end of the day, we're trying to <laughs> And I think when you have that perspective, you know, there's some days you, uh, you go home and you're, you're, uh, you, you, can, you can be so upset that you knocked a rail down for the day. And then if you can put that to perspective there, you're going to be able to ride better, train better, become a better horseman because you're going to understand the bigger picture of what you're trying to do. And taking it easy, basically. Yeah. Well, yeah, take. I think it comes down, you know, it's, you know, you need to, it's, you need to listen to the horses and you need to be, it's all, it, it's, it's, it's take it easy, take it easy on yourself. But it, it, it at the end of the day, it's actually, it, I think it kind of comes down to the horsemanship aspect of it, that you're, you're the best riders are the best horsemen that are cognizant of the animals and they're appreciative of what they do for them there. But if you, if you can remember the, the true base of this there, which is what we're trying to do, which is literally, we're trying to, you know, train animals to jump over, you know, sticks and they, you know, or, you know, poles there. Um, I think that when you can remember that perspective, you're going to every, it's going to filter down into your mindset of what you're trying to, how you're trying to um, teach them how to do that. It's, it's, I think it's so easy to become, to want to become frustrated, to want to push a little bit harder there. And at the end of the day, you're working, you know, these aren't dirt bikes we're working with these are living breathing animals that have their own mind their own soul their own you know their own desires there and uh so if you can keep that very simple if you can remember the very simple base what we're trying to do i feel you're gonna be able to do your job much better cool and then please complete this sentence 
for me horses are uh, they're incredible incredible creatures yeah. great wonderful andrew it was a pleasure having you on the podcast thank you for having me it was really fun it was great to connect and uh anytime we get to talk about it the passion for what we love it's a great day great thanks so much thanks andrew thank you thanks for listening to the equestrian connection podcast for more information follow us on instagram or visit us on weers.com make sure you subscribe to us on apple podcast if you're an android user check us out on spotify or frankly wherever you listen to good podcasts if you liked our show please leave a review on apple and also now available on spotify see you soon and thanks for listening from weers.com the online riding academy